Hello and welcome to the Arts Report, guys. It is November the 4th and this is me, Ashley, with your uh, weekly Arts Report. We have some great interviews for you today. Um, we have a variety of people coming on. I have on the line um, Lucid Afterlife lead singer and principal lyricist Nat Jack about an upcoming concert. Then we'll have Coastal Ballet's uh, Kayla Wiley. Then 20-something Theater's artistic director Sabrina Evert and the Curator of of Asian Exhibits at the Museum of Anthropology at the University of British Columbia, Dr. Fuyubi Nakamura. And again, you are listening to the Arts Report. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. And right now, we're going to put our first guest on air. This is Lucid Afterlight's Nat Jack. Hello, Nat. Hello. Hey. Hi. Hi. Good to have you on air. I know there was a little bit of a connection issues, but um, we got you. I can hear you now, which is great. So welcome. Welcome to the Arts Report. Yeah, thanks. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And I wanted to ask, so you are the lead singer and principal lyricist for Lucid After Life, and you guys have an upcoming show on Friday, November the 13th. Is that right? Yeah, both that. Correct. Mm-hmm. Very good so far. <laughs> Great, great. And I wanted to ask a little bit about Lucid Afterlife because some of our listeners might, you know, not really know about your band. And so could you uh, let let them know a little bit about, I think you guys have a hybrid sound due to the blending of genres. Is that right? Yeah, you know, uh, things kind of uh, come to the surface. It's more the media kind of chooses what they want to call Uh, all the genres. Mm -hmm. We just play whatever we want to do. Sometimes it's a different style. The whole album, we just did it eight songs on the album. None of the songs are really the same. I see. And the and, album yeah, we just in, like to do whatever. Oh, and the album in question is called I Am. Yeah. So what actually, was there a inspiration behind creating that album? Or with it, as, as you mentioned, you like to play you know different types of music and you just wanted to put them in, I guess, this album? You know, uh, we always wanted to make an album, you know, managers, Mm-hmm. People said, hey, you know what? Don't make an album. It's a singles market. And we got together <laughs> and said, you guys want to do an album? And as a band, as artists, we we wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we were inspired. We actually ended up writing 12 songs. We recorded 12. Oh, wow. We, we, chose, we chose eight. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we worked on it for quite a while. And your band is a four-piece band. Could you let us know about the other members? Yeah, well, we got Kyle Arellano on the bass. He keeps us down, keeps us groovy. And then uh, Matt Sherlaw, also known as The Hammer, mm-hmm. he's on the drums. Uh, we're in between guitarists right now. We're actually auditioning a few guys. Oh, I so, see. So uh, we don't know who it's going to be. It could be you. It could be next. <laughs> maybe, maybe. And speaking about you know the group and about you know the different styles of music that you guys like to do, is there a particular... I guess you don't like like the term genre because the media you know chooses. But is there a particular kind of musical, I guess, um, inspiration that each member brings to create this kind of blending in Lucid Afterlife? You know, there's there's a musical background. Like I know uh, Matt; he's been on the Warp tour with a whole lots of different bands. He played okay. in thrash metal bands all mm-hmm. over Canada. But he's a you know trained jazz drummer, hip hop drummer. He can do it all. Oh, Kyle plays in another band. He plays in a, kind of more of a grungy metal band. And I started doing. Uh, I started. I got two hip hop records, 
I did hip hop records more uh-huh. than soul. And when I'm at home, I, I listen to you know a Tchaikovsky or a classical Chinese Gukin harp music. I don't really, uh, you know, you don't put really a like to kind of like um, just put all your eggs in like one basket, basically. Like yeah, this is the only type of music I like. Fool around and play around with it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of you know I am, and speaking of like the twelve songs that you guys you know had, and then the eight songs that you guys you know chose eventually. Was there any sort of like thematic element? or any sort of reason why you chose those particular eight songs? You know, when you're putting together uh, an album, you want to mm-hmm. give it a certain fluidity. And I ended up basing the, the the sounds and the movements of the music based on the first eight houses of the horoscope. Oh, and wow. Their, and their, and wow. their elements and that motion. So I came out with some Aryan fire with the song I Am. Mm-hmm. If you turn on, if you put the album in, it'll come banging I Am, and then it goes <laughs> to the, the, the Taurus flow which is mother mother earth mm-hmm. really slows down heavyweights it coagulates the flow so it really had a lot to do with you know musical alchemy mm-hmm. uh getting the right flow how i would like to make the experience as you listen to the album you know not to really but we love the songs it's just they didn't work when it came down to that final concept that we wanted to do flow wise i see and since you are the principal lyricist where do you actually find inspiration for your songs they come, they life experience. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, just just meditating, it'll come to me. But it's so so much, so much inspiration. Such a beautiful world we live in. Is there any type of like, you know, because you you do you know all these sorts of different types of music? Do you ever have to like change the way you you know maybe have to craft the lyrics or you know or sing depending on? Yeah, sometimes just mm-hmm. change it up. But the the beautiful thing about about music, especially you know, lyrics is you can change you 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 can change it. It's universal. I see. And first of all, well, I guess not first of all. Uh, but how did you guys actually like meet? Because everyone seems like they're coming out from like all these different places. How did you guys all kind of converge and go like, hey guys, let's you know make a band? Well, uh, our gu- first guitarist Diego, he's still with us, but he got deported to Mexico. Sadly, oh. he ran out of citizenship. But uh, we um, not a citizenship to stay. But mm-hmm. I met him at a Tommy Lee music. He was just there playing guitar, and at the time I was, uh, you know, trying to manifest a, a band, a lot working working hard at that. And I saw him. He sounded good. I said, "Hey, little buddy, you want to start a band?" And he says, looks at me. He goes, "Yes, start a band." <laughs> Started writing music, and then we met all the other guys. Bada bing, bada boom. This guy plays for that band. You know, long story short, you know, there's musicians everywhere. And then once the flow got going, we kind of found the right lineup that mm-hmm. stuck and stayed and, and, and molded and made this band what it is. I see. And speaking about your upcoming concert, you guys are doing a show opening for Snack the Ripper. Have you worked with him before or no? Yeah, we've, we've actually done uh, shows with Snack the Ripper before. We've uh, we played with them in uh, Onyx, out of, the Onyx out of New York. We did a show with them out in Delta. And Mercules is also on the show, and he's just came off a European tour, and Mercules is going to be in the studio with Lucid Afterlife, and we got a little uh, a little treat. We're going to be working on a new single with Mercules. So oh, I see. yeah, we 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 like we we work with these guys with SDK Stompdown Crew. You know, Nax, mm-hmm. uh, world famous graffiti artist Nax, who's a big supporter of of the band and has done a lot of design work for us. So it's a really great opportunity to work with these guys because you know they're huge here in Canada. And all over the world, actually, right now. They're all over the news right now. 
one thing I wanted to mention, and this is again because you guys play an eclectic, you know, variety of music and musical styles, would by chance your next album be completely different? Like it's going to be different. On your Facebook, it says you guys are heavy mellow. Yeah, it's because yeah, heavy mellow because mm-hmm. it makes no sense. It's yeah. a lucid afterlife. It makes no sense, but it makes all the sense in the world. It's like the Tao Te Ching big swirl through your brain. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I guess that's what it is. It's, it's the beyond duality music, man. It's just like uh, the next album is going to sound a lot different. Don't expect anything with this band. You know, don't basically, get too attached to anything. Uh-huh. Basically, expect the unexpected. We're just going to continue to play whatever we want to play mm-hmm. at that moment and we'll record it. We'll press the record button and that's what that's our record, right? We really don't, we're not, we're unsigned. We don't have anyone we have to impress. So mm-hmm. basically, you play the music that you guys really feel at that moment that you guys really want to express to the people. Feeling, yeah, feeling. Yeah. All right, great. And again, just for our, our listeners, where can they? Um, where can they actually get tickets to this upcoming show, or is it just show up? I think they they got the pre-sale tickets online. If you go, it's just go snack the ripper on Facebook and go to their the Facebook website or record stores. Maybe Beat Street. I'm pretty sure Beat Street Records will have uh, some some uh, tickets if they're available. It might be sold out already. It's mm-hmm. been uh, it's been a really hyped up show. All right, and again, this is in Surrey. For Friday, November yeah. the thirteenth, and Lucid Afterlife. Thank you so much for yeah, it's uh, all, joining it's us. All, it's all ages. I just want to throw it in there. Oh yeah, it's too. all ages too. So people, yeah. if you are sadly under the age of whatever <laughs> it is, because it changes, it changes. Yeah. You can go. It's all ages. All right. Again, thank you so much. This sounds no, very very cool. Again, for listeners out there, Friday, November the thirteenth. It might be an unlucky day, but maybe not. Lucky for you, maybe. All right, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. You too. And we are now going to go into a few commercials. After that, we will be speaking with um, the Coastal Ballet's ballerina, Kayla Wiley, about the fifth anniversary kind of uh, showcase that they have going on. But for right now, we're going to go into a few commercials. Right Honorable W.L. Mackenzie King, Prime Minister of Canada, speaking from Ottawa. There is no home in Canada, no family, and no individual whose fortunes and freedom are not bound up in the present struggle. This Remembrance Day, CITR presents At Home and Overseas. More than two dozen Vancouver actors recreate the personal stories of those who experienced firsthand what life was like in Canada during the Second World War. Wednesday, November 11th, from 6.30 to 8 a.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. Or look for the podcast at citr.ca. You're gonna hang out the washing on the Siegfried line. Have you any dirty washing, mother dear? We're gonna hang out the washing on the Siegfried line. Cause the washing day is here. Whether the weather may be wet or fine, we'll just rub along. Every night, over 700 youth sleep on Vancouver's streets. This is their story. Death in a Dumpster, the musical, is a true story about homelessness, written, composed, and performed by a cast of street-involved youth actors. 
Death in a Dumpster opens November 7th at Waterfront Theatre for three performances only. For tickets and information, go to www.deathinadumpster.ca. Death in a Dumpster is presented by Access to Music in association with Directions Youth Services. There and welcome back to the Arts Report. Now with us we'll have Coastal Ballet's ballerina, uh, Ms. Kayla Wiley, on air. Hello, hi, uh, Kayla. Hi. Hi, great, good. You can hear me. Awesome. I welcome. can hear you. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the uh, show. Thanks. I'm happy to be on the show with you. <laughs> All right. So um, for those who don't know, this is Coastal Ballet's uh, Kayla Wiley, when we're going to talk about the fifth anniversary that's kind of coming up, right? Yeah, it's our fifth season that we are open, and um, we are celebrating with our show Fall for Ballet, and uh, we're all really excited. We've been working super hard, and we're anxious in a good mm -hmm. way to be on stage very soon. And I wanted to ask, it says you guys have three world premieres. We do. Um, our director, Lee Yaming, has choreographed a ballet to Four Seasons. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. The so, Yes, yes. Um, so we have that as a premiere, and then we also had choreographers, Wen Wei Wang and Josh Beamish, choreograph pieces for us. So those are all brand new as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, which has been really nice to work on, actually. I think everyone's super excited to show the world that we've been working on. What was it like working with the uh, choreographers like Wen Wei Wang and Joshua Beamish? You know, which pieces are, you know, they're doing and, you know, are you, and are you, are you involved in, in their, you know, pieces in like a prominent role or? Um, well, what's great about this show actually is that um, everyone is in everything. I see. So, yeah, so it's been a challenge because, like, we are all in every single rehearsal. So uh -huh. sometimes when we're cleaning, it takes a lot more work than just cleaning, like, a dance with one or two people in it. Um, but I think that's a really great opportunity for everyone to dance. So it's been wonderful working with those choreographers and, of course, our director, Lee Ming, because mm -hmm. he lets everyone have a chance to be on stage. I see. And ballet is kind of considered a you know, highly you know, technique-based movement kind of dance, you know, with mm -hmm. rigorous training. When did you first kind of you know, start doing ballet? Um, I started ballet when I was three. Uh -huh. um, but of course, when you're three and you're just taking it for fun, it's not super serious. Um, and then as I got older, into my teens, I realized that I really loved dancing mm -hmm. and I was just so inspired by how ballet is like the pursuit of perfection but also there's such an artistic quality to it that mm -hmm. I'm so drawn to and every day I fall more and more in love with it so definitely as I got into my teens I grew way more serious about it but I did start when I was very young. I see and can you tell us more about how you actually got involved with um, with coastal ballet and you know what do you guys have um, kind of, you know, and that's that, you know, basically when did you get involved in Coastal Ballet? <laughs> um, well, I first joined in 2012. I just graduated high school mm -hmm. and I was looking to continue dancing and 
pursue it professionally. And um, one of my friends that I danced with growing up had always told me, oh, just go see Mr. Lee. He's amazing. He's amazing. Uh And so finally I was like, okay, I'm going to go check him out. And I auditioned and I knew even just from that audition class, like I loved him. Like he was amazing and I loved the energy of the studio. And so that's basically how I first got involved. And um, I was away last season dancing with Ballet Victoria, but now I am back exploring opportunities in dance in Vancouver. So I'm happy to be here. Great. One thing I wanted to mention is that uh, when when reading up about the event, it said that there was like a lot of um, diverse kind of um, sort of um, elements to the ballet that, that was going to be uh, shown at the, can I call it a showcase? Would it be more of a concert performance no a showcase is fine or um yeah if we just called it like a ballet that's usually (laughs) a term for it but a showcase yeah definitely Mm -hmm. is accurate I wanted to ask were there any you know any influence from other uh dance genres outside of ballet or maybe something you mentioned four seasons so there's that classical element and what else is kind of in store for people who want to go see this event um, well, Four Seasons, as you mentioned, is classical, and that is true. It's, it's a classical ballet, but um, we also have uh, our piece from Wen Wei Wang and our piece from Josh Beamish, and those two are very contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be a really nice contrast between the two acts of the show. You know, our first act will be Four Seasons, and it'll be classical, and the second act we're going to explore a lot of different kinds of movements, so it'll be really modern and interesting for the audience. And one thing I wanted to ask again is, um, because you have all these sorts of, um, I I, I guess, the the three world uh, premieres happening, if somebody wanted to uh, see it in Vancouver, where exactly would they have to go? Um, If they wanted to see our show, uh, we are performing at Centennial Theatre in North Vancouver Mm -hmm. on November 9th. And we're also performing at Surrey Arts Centre on November 19th. And people can buy tickets online or they can get at the box office. All right, great. Yeah, at the box office for both theaters, and um, general admission is $30 per ticket. Mm-hmm. But if you are a senior student, uh, tickets are $22, and in groups of 10 tickets are $20. I see. And mm-hmm. just to kind of entice listeners, because it sounds really incredible. I'm looking at some of the pictures. Very beautiful, very graceful. What is Thank you. <laughs> one of your favorite kind of pieces in this showcase? Hmm. Well, I have to say, um, I really love dancing four seasons. Mm-hmm. I, I love the music. I think it's so beautiful and the choreography is so inspired by it. Um, for, so for me personally, I'm the most excited to perform mm-hmm. that one. I think the audience will really love it. Um, and I think it's also familiar too. I think a lot of people know the music. So when it comes on, it'll be like, you know, something they know. <laughs> and like, oh, wait, I kind of, it's familiar to me. It's familiar. Exactly. And it's always interesting to see a piece where you know the music and now you're seeing someone's interpretation of it. That's always really interesting for an audience member. Let's see. And 
this is just one of the few things for the the fifth season of Coastal Ballet. Are there any, any upcoming kind of events that you know listeners should be aware of after they see this? They're like, oh my god, I want more. What is another thing that's going to be kind of, I guess, on the horizon for Coastal uh, Ballet? Um, well, definitely in May we're performing Swan Lake. And that's a, yeah, (laughs) that's a very classic ballet I think everyone is familiar with. So definitely keep an eye out for that one. Everyone loves Swan Lake. (laughs) All right. And unfortunately, um, that's all the time we have today. But thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Kayla Wiley. Oh, thank you so much. um, The show is Fall for Ballet. It has the four seasons, which is um, directed by Li Yaming, The Sweets and Bach by Wen Wei Wang, The Standing at the Gates by Joshua Beamish, and Paquita by Classical Excerpts. And you can get tickets um, for the November 9th show, which is at Centennial Theatre in North Vancouver, and the November 19th show at Surrey Arts Centre. And we get to see you in action! Yeah, that'd be great! <laughs> Thank you so much, Kalo. Thank you, bye! Right, bye! All right, and we're going to play a few more ads. We have a lot of other stuff for you today. It is an amazingly packed show, so stick around. There's plenty of high-profile sports games this weekend on CITR 101.9 FM. Both basketball teams face off against the University of Alberta Golden Bears in the War Memorial Gym on Friday, November 6th, with the women's at 6 p.m. and the men's at 8 p.m. The Thunderbird football team will play in the Canada West semifinals against the University of Manitoba Bisons at the Thunderbird Stadium, 12 noon on Saturday, November 7th. And then after, the volleyball teams will go head-to-head against the Calgary Dinos at the historic War Memorial Gym, the women's at 1 p.m. and the men's at 2.30 p.m. Catch all of the action on CITR 101.9 FM. And welcome back to the Arts Report. Uh, following this, we will have a pre-recorded interview with Sabrina Evert, who is the artistic director for Twenty Something Theater and the director for Tender Napalm. Director for Tender Napalm, a show by Twenty Something Theater. First of all, you are directing a show called Tender Napalm. And this is by Philip Ridley, and I think our listeners don't really know too much about the show. Could you tell us a little bit about Tender Napalm? Sure. It's a show that's about love, really. It's Mm -hmm. a man and a woman who are dealing with some pretty traumatic events, and they're just trying to find a way to get through those events and stay together. So, I see. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask is, what actually drew you to Tender Napalm? Why this show? Why now? When I read it, it's quite an incredible play, Mm -hmm. but there was a stage direction in the script, which is actually one of very few stage directions, but Mm -hmm. it said it's like they dance through the journey of their relationship. And to me, that was just a really beautiful 
sentiment and it obviously spoke to a certain level of like movement direction and choreography in it and I've never previously worked in that sort of realm as a director like with a movement director and with a choreographer Mm -hmm. and even though I, I personally love dance I think it's so expressive so I really latched on to that and that really evoked sort of the nature of what the whole piece would eventually become so that's really what sort of drew me to it i see i see in preparation for the performance were there any challenges that you personally had to overcome in you know directing it or was there something because you mentioned this is um, a little bit different when you i guess tackled it were there some sort of like surprises that may have challenged you but then kind of turned out for the better um yeah of course when you're we sort of came at this piece working in a completely different fashion because it's a unique theater place piece so we actually came at it more from a contemporary dance perspective mm-hmm. in that like we had to and the actors and actually the the whole ensemble because i i really emphasize ensemble that we actually did a lot of like physical training in the first week (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you know even for the actors to be able to say lift one another right and make that seem effortless so in a way that that was a challenge but they really have risen to that challenge like they the two actors in the show really have like become leaps and bounds from where mm-hmm. they started in rehearsal mm-hmm. to the point where now like lifting each other seems easy they were just saying the other day it's like you know it, it whereas when they started it was very difficult uh-huh. so mm-hmm. and so what are some of the features of this production that you've you know kind of embellished as a director that you're excited to kind of share with your audience well i'm really excited to share with them sort of the intermingling of two, three different, like, genres. Mm -hmm. There's music, there's an entire, like, score that's been written for the, specifically for this production that underscores the entire place with 85 minutes of original music. Okay. And then just the movement elements, and then the language itself is so, I mean, it's real, they have real dialogue, but Mm -hmm. it's also kind of heightened and poetic at times as well and so just like I think it's really a unique blend of you know what often gets separated like there's music and you go and see you know an orchestra or you go and see dance or you go and see more of a traditional theater piece whereas this this piece of theater really like combines those three elements together which is why I'm so excited to share it yeah 20-something theater has won Jesse Awards for their outstanding achievements of the Vancouver professional theater community and how Mm -hmm. each production you know changed 20-something you know what are some of the most memorable experiences about taking on these productions and then making it your own, how does that shape 20-something from when it started? Um, oh, my gosh. It's been 10 years now, so it's growing <laughs> <laughs> so it's growing so much, and I've grown with it because I'm not 20-something anymore, but I definitely, <laughs> I definitely started it when I was. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and just, you know, we've, with, Each production, especially over the last couple of years, you know, with some Jesse nominations and wins, we've really become sort of an integral part of the Vancouver theater community. And we also, you know, produce original works, which I'm really, it's really important to me. Oh, true. Which ones, if you don't mind me asking? 
Sure, yeah. Um, a couple years ago, we did a production called Prodigals, which mm-hmm. um, was fairly well-received and uh, with audiences and, and critics alike. So that did really well, and that was a brand-new play that we developed over two years. Mm-hmm. And then this spring, we have another production called um, The Outfitgel, that we've also been developing for a couple of years, and it will premiere actually um, as part of the Fire Hall Art Center. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so those are two like specifics that we produced lately, and yeah, yeah. So I'm really, and it's important to foster new Canadian work. So I'm I'm yes. really mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Where are you actually interested in taking Vancouver theater next? Because Vancouver has a very kind of it, it, the culture of theater is much more different from, let's say, Toronto. Were there any you know, upcoming productions which our listeners should be aware of that's not only from 20-something, but something that maybe you're involved in outside of 20-something? Um, well, I'm also up next, actually. It was just funny because I went to the first reader this morning. Okay. <laughs> um, um, I'm actually, I'm designing, because I'm a designer and a director. Oh, so I'm wow. I'm designing production uh, that's called Social Studies at the Firehall Arts Center. Mm-hmm. And it's a new, well, this will, I think this will be maybe the third production, so it's fairly new. It hasn't been in Western Canada yet. Canadian play written by a female Canadian playwright oh. out of mm-hmm. out of Winnipeg. And also, like, being a woman in theater, I'm also very, like, big on supporting women in theater and getting yes. sort of that equality yes. of women in theater, which we're really sort of striving for still. So I'm really thrilled to be part of this production that has a female director, is written by a Canadian female playwright, and has three really strong female actors in it. So... Yeah, it's. I think it's going to be quite lovely. So I'm excited about that. If you don't mind me asking, it might be a personal question, but why do you personally love theater as opposed to any other art? Oh, um, wow. I love theater because of the sort of communal experience mm-hmm. of it. Um, I love the sense of community that gets fostered not only when I'm working with an ensemble of artists, but also the community that gets fostered when you're sitting in an audience with, you know, 60 or how, you know, depending on the size of the theater, Mm. depending on the size of the theater, 200 people. And when you see something that's really, um, that you really connect with or that really connects with the audience, there's this Mm -hmm. really shared sense of community and feeling and everybody's sort of breathing through yes, this yeah. this piece of theater that I think you know in this age of technology that we forget what it's like to be like so intensely connected to each other and I think theater really sort of creates an environment that lets us like have that experience and that's like what I love about it that's always what I love <laughs> mm-hmm. and one thing I wanted to ask is um, about Vancouver theater is there a specific focus that you part- particularly put into when you know per- when putting up productions for the public? Right. Yes. I. I'm really. I really value storytelling. Mm-hmm. I. I think that like when we tell stories, and this goes sort of connected with what I just said about like communal experiences and whatnot. Um, I really think when we tell stories, when we tell strong stories about the human condition you know yes. what it is to be human and to <laughs> walk through this crazy thing called life I think when we tell those stories that are universal to each other that it helps us you know process 
things that we go through in a different mm-hmm. way. Um, so that's really like what I I sort of value and focus on in terms of like my own work and the things that I really pick out and enjoy in other people's work. And lastly, I just wanted to ask because the show is ongoing until November the eighth. Where can our mm-hmm. listeners find tickets to the event? And also, are there any other um, events? from 20-something theater that they should be on a lookout for? Sure, yeah. Okay, so you can get tickets at TheaterWire. So mm-hmm. that's just TheaterWire, all one word, uh, dot com. And they're this great new initiative in town that's, like, offering subscription series to oh. independent theater. Mm-hmm. So that's really great for all us indies who don't really, like, have a home. <laughs> um, so that's uh, where you can get tickets for Tender Napalm. That's also where you can get tickets for our next show, which is directly after Tender Napalm, which is called 52 Pickup by T.J. Daw. Oh, um, yes. And that will be, uh, that's a really fun, lighthearted, romantic comedy. And then in the spring, we have the Out Vigil. And you can get tickets for the Out Vigil at the Fire Hall Art Center's website. So, yeah, we have quite a season this year. Lots going on. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds incredibly wonderful. And, again, thank you so much, Sabrina, yeah. for joining us. And um, we will let all of our listeners know, again, this is Tender Napalm. This is at the Havana Theater. You can get tickets at theaterwire.com. And thank you so much. We look forward to this wonderful production. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Have a okay. good one. Hi there, guys. Welcome back to the Arts Report in studio with us live. We have Dr. Fuyubi Nakamura, and the Museum Anthropology is unveiling a new exhibit which in- opens a window to the ethereal world of contemporary Japan. No, Taiwan. Oh, Excuse me, Taiwan, Taiwan. See, I need her here. She corrected me. Yes, Taiwan, because the title is actually called Bracket in Bracket Visible, the Spiritual World of Taiwan Through Contemporary Art. And again, uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Fuyubi Nakamura. Hello. Hi, thank you. No, thank, Actually, you. Yeah. thank you for yeah, inviting me to the show today. <laughs> no, thank you for uh, being here. Thank you for being here. And I wanted to ask about your um, kind of curated exhibit. You are an author and an acclaimed international speaker and also well-known for your other curated work, uh, such as you know being a guest curator at the National Museum of Oriental Art in Buenos Aires in uh, 2010, 2011, just being a little of her extensive work. And what were kind of the deciding factors in basically the genesis of this particular exhibit? Okay, it's interesting because first of all, yeah, I want to say I'm from Japan. That's why I actually got a bit confused. <laughs> I got a little bit confused. Yeah, but the exhibition about Taiwan. Yes. And just to begin with, I'm quite new here at UBC. I joined the Museum of Anthropology as a curator for Asia mm-hmm. last April. So I've been here for one and a half years. Before I came here, I worked in so many different countries, yes. teaching at different universities mm-hmm. and museums, starting from England, Japan, Australia, Brazil, and Argentina. Mm-hmm. And then when I first arrived here, our museum had already started this project called Spotlight Taiwan. Okay. So yes. we are going to do one exhibition in Taiwan that had mm-hmm. been decided before my arrival. And then, le- you know, I thought about what kind of thing I want to do on yes. Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And that was actually one of my questions mm. I wanted to ask is how you actually got, um, how you actually collaborate with the group Spotlight Taiwan. For those who don't know, what is Spotlight Taiwan? Okay. 
This is an initiative, actually, Ministry of Culture of Taiwanese government started a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So they call for proposal for different museums and different universities across the world. So as far as I know, many universities in Europe, North America, and Asia are part of this wider Spotlight Taiwan initiative. And I think in Canada, we are the only one yeah. participating <laughs> in this program. So our director, who has been to Taiwan a few times, got fascinated by the country. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to decide to join this wider initiative. And we launched the Spotlight Taiwan at our museum last May. And Spotlight Taiwan's main directive is kind of highlighting Taiwanese culture. Yeah, culture and arts. Mm -hmm. And one thing about the title of the piece, could you you explain to me why did you do the bracket IN bracket (laughs) invisible? Sure. I want to know. Actually, (laughs) deciding title of exhibition is always tricky. Yes. You know, of course, (laughs) I have so many different ideas. Mm-hmm. And originally, it was actually called visible slash invisible. Ah, I see. Okay, mm-hmm. so the idea is still there. It's still visible, invisible. And then we started working about what, you know, how best to translate this into Chinese. Yes. Yeah. So I talked to a few friends. I don't myself understand Chinese. I can read it, but I don't speak Chinese mm-hmm. much. I'm a Japanese speaker. So I consulted you know, a few students and a few friends who are specialists of Taiwan's art what's mm-hmm. best to translate. And one of my friends, who's actually an Australian friend of mine, who, mm-hmm. yeah, Australian friend of mine, who is also a, a historian and a curator, who suggested, why don't I use this particular Chinese title? It's very difficult to explain verbally, but... Yes, of course. The character is like, there's yeah. a lot of meanings. Yeah, so first we decided on Chinese translation, or Chinese <laughs> title, which doesn't actually mean invisible, visible. It's more like intangible, tangible. Ah, I see. Like a f- physical material yeah. world and kind of yeah. not physical. Mm, but that also includes the idea of invisible, invisible. Yes. So first we decided on this Chinese title. So we actually changed the <laughs> English title uh-huh. to invisible in, in bracket. Yeah, mm. to kind of reflect the Chinese character. Yeah, because it's more graphic yes. in Chinese. Mm-hmm. Mm. I see. And... One thing I wanted to ask is, did you have a criteria in mind when you're picking the artist for the exhibit? Okay, so first I decided on the theme of the exhibition. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing research on artists, you know, started reading books on contemporary art. And uh, luckily I have a few friends who have worked with some contemporary Taiwanese artists. Mm-hmm. So I asked them for advice as well. But then the thing is, last year, as part of the Spotlight Taiwan project, we organized a puppet festival. Okay. I don't know if you've been to that festival, but anyway, <laughs> we organized quite a big Taiwan, uh, Taiwanese puppet festival at the mm-hmm. museum. Uh, uh, interesting enough, puppeteers introduced me to one of the artists who is oh. part of this exhibition awesome. because he's an interesting artist. His name is Li Jinyan. Mm-hmm. He's a completely self-taught artist, but he used to also make puppets for the puppet theater. Oh, yeah. So we, uh-huh. we are including his installation piece, which consists of different kind of objects, including puppets, mm-hmm. puppet heads, drawings, and so many different kind of sculptures. So he was introduced to us by puppeteers who came to Vancouver last year. Uh-huh. So they were interesting kind of connection, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask is about kind of the uh, thematic idea of the mm. piece. Um, on there it said that the exhibit was focused on the coexistence of modernity and tradition while mm. showcasing the myths and legends and fairy tales mm. sacred to Taiwanese culture. Mm. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. One thing I wanted to show in this exhibition was the diversity of Taiwanese cultures. Mm-hmm. So first of all, 
I was actually quite surprised when I came here to Canada. Not many people were aware so many Aboriginal groups in Taiwan. Yeah. For example, do you know how many groups in Taiwan right now? Oh, I don't know how many, <laughs> but I know there's a lot of Chinese mm. um, indigenous groups that are not the Han Chinese, which is the um, the the majority. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a guess. I'm gonna do a guess. Is there roughly around seventy indigenous Taiwanese cultures living in Taiwan? It's quite interesting because officially at the moment, Ooh, okay. officially, officially, government recognizes only 16 Aboriginal oh, groups. Okay. But as you say, there are many more who are not recognized by the government. So mm-hmm. it's really difficult to say how many exactly. The interesting is these Aboriginal indigenous groups are not Han Chinese origin. Yes. They are of Australasian origin. So they have a closer relationship to the South Pacific Islands. Okay. They've been living there for like 8,000, 8, if not more of uh-huh. years on island. Mm-hmm. And the later, of course, in Chinese, mainland Chinese started to arrive on island. Mm-hmm. And then also Portuguese and then Dutch and yeah, Spanish. A lot of yeah, stuff also, yeah. <laughs> you know, other Europeans started arrive on island in seventeenth century and mm-hmm. also Japanese came. So Taiwan has had so many different influences coming from different countries. So even focusing on spiritual world, for example, Aborigin- Aboriginal people right now are mostly Christian. Mm-hmm. While, you know, many Han Chinese, Taiwanese, I don't know how can I pray, but Taiwanese of Han Chinese origin, mm-hmm. they participate in, like, Buddhism. That's right. I have a friend mm. who is um, who is Han Chinese, Taiwanese, and she is a Buddhist. Mm. Yeah. So, but lots of people do participate in dif- different religious practices or festivals. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily being particularly religious, but, for example, like ghost festivals. Yes. You know, things like mm-hmm. that. It's religious, but... They do participate anyway. It's part of tradition now. Mm-hmm. Mm. I see. And one thing I wanted to ask is for the different pieces that you have, what are some things that people may not have even kind of associated with Taiwan at all? What are some of the art installations that you have that will kind of astound people and be like, oh, I didn't know this was Taiwanese art? It's interesting. Yeah. Possible, you know, definition what is Taiwanese and yeah. what is Taiwanese art is a very tricky one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what I want to say is in the many pieces that, um, let's say, let's start wow. with one. Just for our listeners yeah. who can't see the visual spectacle mm. that I'm seeing, we have a wonderful display. We have these like hanging installations. We have a lot of um, prints kind of happening. I wish you can see it. You will be able to see it if you go to the exhibit. Mm. But please describe. Okay. So in this exhibition, I'm going to have uh, three quite big installation pieces. Mm-hmm. The one is a huge installation piece with paper cutting. Because uh-huh. it's paper cutting, you might know. But uh, it's a traditional kind of folk art in China yes. or Chinese cultures, right? So, But it's usually just a decorative reason. It's not a piece mm-hmm. of art. It's more like folk art you yes. display at home on the windows. So one of the artists, Chiu Yuen, is incorporating these t- traditional techniques to create a huge contemporary installation piece. Mm-hmm. It's going to be massive. It and looks it, really, really Yeah, and what, what I want to see. say is, you know, yeah. I'm working with a huge number of volunteers on this <laughs> exhibition, including many UBC students. Mm-hmm. I think I have about 70 volunteers working with me right now, <laughs> and they're assisting this artist and another artist who's going to create a huge installation work. So actually, mm-hmm. just before I came to this show, I had a class to give a training session to oh. a group of students okay. who are involved with this exhibition. Can you tell us a little bit about this particular exhibition too? 
And no, no, they're part of this exhibition. Oh, they're, they're yeah. part of the paper cutting yeah. exhibition. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> About the p- different artworks in this yes. exhibition, in the same exhibition. Mm-hmm. But uh, one group of students, in the, it's a course called Asia and the Museological Imagination. Mm-hmm. It's offered in Asian studies. We have a group of 26, no, sorry, 28 students working with one artist, not this one, other one, Li Jingyang. <laughs> so they're starting their work tomorrow morning. And we have another group of volunteers, which has a okay, combination of UBC students mm-hmm. and our museum's volunteers who are you know, different age groups, and also Taiwanese and the local art community members. And all the artists in the exhibit are of Taiwanese background. Yes, whether they're Aboriginal or mm-hmm. Han Chinese, but I they're see. all Taiwanese artists. I mm. see. And one thing I, I uh, got to kind of read a little bit is that there's a, there's a weaving involved. Mm. Is sure. like a huge tapestry, or yeah. it's um, it's uh, another installation piece. Mm. Wow! <laughs> yeah, this artist is called Yuma Taru. Mm-hmm. She's half Chinese, half Indigenous. Mm-hmm. So for this exhibition, she's was showcasing her contemporary textile pieces. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about her is she actually teaches traditional weaving techniques to younger generation women. Mm-hmm. So she actually has a weaving workshop up in the mountain in Taiwan uh-huh. where she lives. Um, but in order to promote her traditional weaving practice, she creates such kind of you know, content pieces. That's exactly mm. kind of the focus of your mm. you know, exhibition with the idea of the traditional sure, route exactly, and yeah. then through a contemporary mm, mm kind of view through art. Yeah, you see, you know, at a museum, not necessarily about Taiwan yes. or Asia, but even thinking of First Nation art, mm-hmm. we always incorporate contemporary pieces to show it's a continuing tradition. Mm-hmm. No, it's not from the past. I see. And just so you guys unfortunately can't see it, but what we have here is kind of these textile pieces. They are kind of hanging, they are kind of flowing. It is very kind of beautiful. The weave work is amazing. You definitely have to check this out, guys. I'm I'm gonna probably check it out too. And we have some images up on our website mm-hmm. and on our Facebook too. Mm. And I wanted to kind of ask about spiritu- spirituality and Taiwanese mythology. As you mentioned, there are so many indigenous you know groups, mm-hmm. and not all of them are represented. And now they do get to be represented through your exhibit and through art. Is there a specific dialogue of tradition and contemporary practice that? that you kind of think is maybe um, strictly Taiwanese in identity, or is it too hard to kind of decide it because of the historical kind of relations of Taiwan? Hmm. Yes, because most of Aboriginal people in Taiwan live in urban cities these days, a bit like here in mm-hmm. Vancouver. Um, but what I want to say is one artist who is also Aboriginal artist in this exhibition is called Annie Genu. Mm-hmm. As I said, most of Aboriginal people are not Christian, Yes. In Taiwan. He's actually a Christian pastor himself. Oh, okay. Wow, okay. <laughs> so in his work, he actually presents his three identities, one as a Christian pastor, mm-hmm. and one as an Ataya Aboriginal, mm-hmm. and one as an artist. So he's kind of juggling with three different identities and I explaining see. those in his work. It's this one. It's oh, called My wow. Cross. My yes. Cross. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he also incorporated uh, totems from Atayo Aboriginal culture yes. and inspired by weaving techniques like mm-hmm. Yuma Taru does. For the uh, listeners who can't see again, very kind of almost like portraiture, but mixed with, you know, weaving, mixed with some symbols, 
very, very, you know, bright, almost attention-grabbing, you know, colors. Very interesting. Very interesting. Interesting is this work is called yes. My Cross. You see the cross in between the painting? Oh, yes. Mm. Ah, I see it now. Oh, my God. <laughs> My mind is actually getting blown. <laughs> but, but this one, yeah, you, you really have to come and see. Yes, you really do have to come and see. And I wanted to ask, mm. because as you can see, as I can really see, you have so much enjoyment in kind of curating. And mm. what are some of your favorite things to do when, you know, starting off a new exhibit and starting to kind of gather materials and to kind of gather an idea for mm. an exhibit? Like, what's like the most favorite thing that you like to do about <laughs> curating? Okay, because I'm an anthropologist, I always enjoy working with people. Mm -hmm. So also, you know, I have done different kind of exhibition just using, you know, the collections, museum yes. collection. But I enjoy working with contemporary artists because they are, first of all, living people. Yes. I can have lots of communication and discussion with them. So mm -hmm. for me, it's always a collaborative process, not just with artists, but with my colleagues at the museum. Mm -hmm. And this time I say with students and volunteers. Mm -hmm. So the process of making exhibition itself is as important and enjoyable as the end result, <laughs> which see. is the exhibition. <laughs> and one thing I wanted to ask is, are there any sort of activities that are kind of associated with this event that maybe students or other people who are interested in this event can, can kind of participate in? Yes, we are organizing series of public programs, mm -hmm. and some are happening around the ex uh, opening time. Maybe I should say the opening is Friday, November mm -hmm. the 20th, mm -hmm. from 7 to 9 p.m., and we have two programs before the opening, but unfortunately they are so popular and already <laughs> sold out. They're already so sold out. So yeah, guys. there are no seats available. But anyway, we still have some other events which are still open. They're, and they're <laughs> also very good. If mm. you, oh man, if, I, I really suggest everyone to at least take one look at the website and not be blown away. They are quite astounding art pieces. Yes, so following the opening on Friday, mm -hmm. we have artist talks on Saturday, November yes. the 21st Yes. at 1 to 3 p.m. Mm -hmm. And Sunday, November the 22nd, we have artist conversation. Mm -hmm. This one will be quite interesting because three Aboriginal artists from Taiwan will be in conversation with an artist from Haida Gwaii, oh. Michael Nicoel Yalungnade. Mm -hmm. We have a, his piece at the museum, so it's going to be an interesting conversation. Like an intercultural sort yeah, of yeah, discussion. Yeah, mm -hmm. artists you know, from Taiwan and Canada. Yes. So it's also at 1 to 3 p.m on Sunday, and just before this artist conversation event, I'm leading a tour of the exhibition uh -huh. at 11, <laughs> 11 a.m. If you're interested, please join us. Oh, hmm. I actually am. What day is that again? Sunday? Sunday, yeah. Sunday, November 22nd at 11. Yeah. Everyone should go. But I will be giving different, you know, tours mm -hmm. in the new year too because the exhibition is going to be on until April. April, yes. so, so I'll be giving more tours in the new year too. Mm -hmm. I see. Well, that sounds quite amazing. Again, for people who are interested in the event, it is called Bracket in, close bracket, Visible, the Spiritual World of Taiwan Through Contemporary Art. It is at the local Museum of Anthropology at UBC. If you are a student, I highly suggest you come in and um, take a look. It is quite amazing from the pictures I've seen, and we'll try to share it through the Facebook so you guys can take a look as well. Thank you so much again, Dr. Fuyubi Nakamura, for your amazing kind of insight and also your passion for this amazing kind well, of piece. Thank you so much again, Ashley, for inviting me. It's <laughs> right. been my pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. And now what we have is we have a quick update at the Noren Theater from our arts report 
to uh, Jake Clark, and I'm just going to go to Jake. Jake, can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening? All right, so this November, oh, she's now started, is actually, we got a funny gimmick coming at the norm. It's Noir-vember, which is for most of next week, of the week, uh, yeah, next week is about when uh-huh. it begins. And that includes classic noir. So you got Sunset Boulevard and Kiss Me Deadly, both very good movies next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. you got Neo Noir, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I highly recommend, and Blade Runner. No, I don't know what edition of Blade Runner it is. What edition of Blade Runner is it? I don't know. Nobody <laughs> answers. No, everybody's got the different edition. It's the second limited ultra secret collector's edition that has five seconds of new footage and it would involve a unicorn. I don't know. Okay. Oh. <laughs> you don't uh, know. Is it, and then uh, on, the, on next Friday, the 13th, Oh, God, it's Friday the 13th. Why didn't we put Friday the 13th there? Okay, so we, yeah, have, we have Pastel Noir, which is uh, one movie where Alec Baldwin wreaks havoc in Miami, and then another another movie where... Or, uh, another movie where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a basically a detective in a high school. It's, it's he's not a detective. He's a it's anyway. It's called Brick. I really recommend it. It's pretty awesome. Now before that though, I do want to tell you that is next week. This weekend there are two very exceptional features which I thought they they deserve a lot of emphasis. On Friday there is Walter Hill there, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Walter Hill, uh, does this line ring a bell? Warriors come out to play. That's from that's from the Warriors, which is one of the movies he directed. That's this Friday at nine o'clock, and at seven before that, there is Streets of Fire, which I personally think deserves a lot more acclaim. It's a very good movie. It's it's called a ro- it, he calls it a rock and roll fable. It's it's just cartoonishly awesome eighties cheese. It's I, I highly recommend it. And on this Sunday as well, there is uh, They Live, which you may know for for the line I came here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and yep. I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> that's that's in there, and then after that, there's Big Trouble in Little China with mm-hmm. Kurt Russell, and that's this weekend. That's what I'm going to be going to see this weekend. So I highly recommend both of those things, and to stay tuned for November next week. There's so much things happening, especially that's so close to campus, so easily accessible to students. People oh, should check it out. Oh, yeah. The Norm, by the way, is an absolute bargain. It's five bucks. And we don't actually have tickets right now. So you pay five for <laughs> a season for the for basically a, uh-huh. a year-long pass. Wow. It's a membership to the Norm. That's so, so five dollars down for yeah. a membership to the Norm. That, that's an awesome investment. You, you may It's just highly worth it. And I very much recommend coming out to see Walter Hill and John Carpenter Days uh, mm-hmm. this weekend. Well, great. That sounds really, really cool. Again, this is... The entire month of November. So if you're like, I kind of want to watch some films with some friends, head on down, get yourself a bit of popcorn, get Mm. your buddies, and watch it. Again, only $5 and for a limited time, like for the entire running season almost. Yes, tickets valid for the entire year. Entire year. Amazing. Amazing. All right, then. Thanks so much on the update. Jake, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a few commercials. I will then announce the upcoming show that you guys all love to hear, Sharing Science. And uh, stay tuned. AMS Food Bank. Your access to money during the studies at UBC will most likely be limited, but it is a priority of the AMS Food Bank to ensure your access to food is not. The AMS Food Bank provides emergency food relief seven days a week for all UBC students. To volunteer with the Food Bank or for inquiries about how to take advantage of the services provided, contact them at foodbank 
at ams.ubc.ca. For more information, find the AMS Food Bank on Facebook or feel free to visit anytime across from the Wellness Center and Sprouts. Right to Play is an international humanitarian organization using sport and play programs to encourage the healthy physical, social, and emotional development of the world's most disadvantaged children. RTP at UBC is run by a team of committed university students who advocate sport for development, and it is the first university chapter of its kind. We want you to get involved. Together, we can educate students about sport for development, help raise money, and teach children here in the Lower Mainland about the importance of sport and a healthy lifestyle. So check us out at www.interchange.ubc.ca backslash RTPUBC. Listen in as one poor soul tries to find something good to enjoy on the radio. Let's see here. Uh... Oh. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody. God, this is awful. Well, I climbed up the mountain, climbed back down again for you. I climbed up the mountain again for you, and then I climbed back down, climbed up. Oh, isn't there anything, 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 anything? Listening to the radio these days can be distressing. Fortunately, here at CITR, our programmers choose the music that they play, so our charts reflect what people actually listen to. To find out what's really chopping the charts, pick up a copy of Beatroot or Discorder magazine, or check us out online at citr.ca. Unless, of course, you'd rather keep listening to the chart-topping single, Everybody Dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody dance. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, just so you know, we are now going to be uh, handing it over to the sharing, the sharing science show. My God, the sharing science show. And this week's episode is the science of cannabis with Alan, Angela, and Sam. One thing to note is that next week will be um, November the 11th. That is Remembrance Day. So the Arts Report will not be on air. We will be taking a break.